My name's Aaron, and I'm in a circle in Hudson, and I'll be reading today from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, I'm really, really glad that you are here. I welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online, welcome. I want to welcome especially those of you who are visiting with us. We are thrilled that you're here. Thanks. All right, let me start like this. I want to let you know how much I love being a part of this church, how much I love you guys. Uh, I was out of town uh, last weekend, which means I missed our global weekend, which I hated to miss because I love that our church is involved uh, with what God is doing all around the world. Uh, but I was able to tune in through live stream, and then it got to the end of the service, and if you were here, then you saw the worship song where we had people from other countries singing in their language that were in their country when they were singing. It was just amazing. I don't even know whose idea that was, but I want to give props to our worship and production team for putting that together. It was really, really moving. And that's one of the reasons I love being a part of this church. I get to work with a staff that is wildly talented and gifted, and they love Jesus. And I get to see things that are happening all the time uh, that I had no idea was going to happen, right? And that wasn't my idea. Uh, the other thing is uh, it was Global Weekend, which meant that all the offering was going to our ministry partners around the world. We didn't keep anything. And uh, you guys gave a little over $150,000 last Sunday. Yeah. Thanks. You guys realize you guys are just applauding for yourselves. But yeah, that's good. Uh, but I love your generosity and I love what we are able to do. 
uh, all around the world. So thanks. All right, this week we kick off our 10-week series on the book of James. Uh, James is famous or infamous uh, for connecting faith with good works. And I say infamous depending on how you look at it because there are a lot of people who consciously or subconsciously uh, connect good works and being a good person to earning favor with God and then eventually getting them to heaven. But the Bible says that's not the way it works, that you will never be good enough to earn favor with God, that it's not what you do that's important, but what Jesus has done on your behalf. And that through Jesus living in your place and dying in your place on the cross and resurrecting, then you can receive the favor of God. And he pours out his love on you, the same love that he has for Jesus. And he makes you his son, his daughter. That's what the Bible teaches. But then the the question is, uh, where do good works come in? Because one of the kind of criticisms of Christianity is that we teach that you are saved by grace and that all you have to do is receive that grace, right? And then what happens is that there are some Christians who never really, who claim to know Jesus, but are pretty nasty people. That they're judgmental and they're angry and they're bitter and they have sharp edges. You want to know what, what's going on there. So where do good works fit? Right? I had somebody ask me that just the other day. And this is the way I described it. I've been married to my wife, Karen, for a little over 40 years, and I'm a much better man today than when I first married her. And I'm a better man because of her consistent, faithful, tender, wonderful love for me. Like the more I felt her love, the more I wanted to be a certain kind of man, the more good things I did, Right? It wasn't the other way around. I didn't become a good man so that she would love me. It was her love that has transformed me. That's what James is saying. James is saying, when you really understand what God has done for you through Jesus, that his love has been poured out on you, that his goodness really is running after you, the more you understand that, the more you will change because love has the power to change you. What James says, if you look at your life and you haven't changed at all, you are the same person, then you should consider the idea that maybe you have never really experienced the love and the grace of God through Jesus, faith and works. We'll get into that more later on in the series. Right now, we're going to cover the first 18 verses of James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. If you want to open up a tablet or if you have your phone or if you want to use one of our Bibles, it's on page 950 in our Bibles. James uh, is not only famous or infamous for connecting faith and works, James is part of the category of wisdom literature in the New Testament, a lot like Proverbs is part of wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And that means that James is really, really practical. This will be practical in your life. That's why we created a workbook to help you just for the next 10 weeks to dive deeper and let it connect to your life. But it also means wisdom literature sometimes can seem disjointed. 
And if you just listen to those 18 verses that were read, it seemed like James is just jumping around to things that are unrelated. He goes to trials, and then he goes to wisdom, then he goes to wealth, and then he goes to gifts and all of that. But I want to show you that James is not as disconnected as he seems, that there's a train of thought that he is following. Here are my three points. Uh, If you are a note taker, you can write these down, or you can know where I'm going. All right? I want to talk about the goodness of trials, the need for wisdom, and the danger of prosperity. The goodness of trials, the need for wisdom, and the danger of prosperity. First, the goodness of trials. I want to be really careful here because uh, a trial means uh, a hard thing. It means a painful thing. It means suffering. And I want to be careful because there there is nothing intrinsically good about suffering. James is not saying that in order to be a good Christian, you have to be a masochist. You have to enjoy the pain that you're going in. There's nothing intrinsic. In fact, suffering and trials can remind us that this world is not the way it was intended to be. In the Gospel of John, in John chapter 11, when Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus to raise Lazarus from the dead, first he rages, then he weeps, and then he raises Lazarus. Jesus rages and weeps because the world is broken, and it's not the way God intended it to be. So when you go through a trial, there's nothing intrinsically good about it, but James says there is goodness that can come from it. In fact, James says, count it all joy when you find yourself in various trials. That sounds crazy. It sounds maddening, even insensitive if you are going through a difficult time right now or you've recently gone through a really hard time. But I want you to know that James is writing a group of people who are not going through, like, light things. They're not like... (laughs) Their hardship isn't that their portfolio is down 15% because the market's taken a dip. That's not the kind of suffering that he's talking about. He's talking to a group of people who are having their homes taken away from them. They're getting thrown in prison. They're getting beaten. They're seeing loved ones killed right in front of them. The question is, why would James say that? It's like me writing a letter to Christians in the Ukraine or Christians in Afghanistan and saying, what you're going through, count it joy to go through what you're going through. Why would James say that? Well, James is telling us that there's goodness in three different ways. And the first way he says is that it tests your faith, that a trial tests. We know that, though, don't we? I mean, you know that when you go through a really hard time, it tests your faith. You end up saying, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. I don't even feel like you love me. Where are you? That's the way we respond. But when it says it tests our faith, uh, we know people who have had their faith tested and actually it broke them. Well, they used to be Christians, went through a difficult time and decided they're no longer Christians. Jimmy uh, gave the sermon two weeks ago at our Next Gen weekend where he gave just an alarming statistic of the number of Americans who identify themselves as formerly Christian. Many of them turning away from the Christian faith because of suffering. But that word test is a word that is used for a process called smelting. It's also used by Peter in his epistles. 
Smelting is when you take a precious metal like gold and you put it in fire. And the fire, if it's hot enough, will make the impurities of the gold rise to the top so that you can skim off the impurities. And the gold becomes even purer and more viable. James says suffering, pain, trials can actually do that to your faith. It can make your faith even more precious, even more pure, even more valuable. And then he says, it also will give you steadfastness, right? Through steadfast, you know, that word in some versions, uh, that Greek word is translated perseverance, perseverance. I, I ride an exercise bike at home called a Peloton. And uh, when, the way the Peloton works is you, you join a class and you have an instructor who is coaching you and yelling at you and encouraging you. And, and uh, I was riding earlier this week and it was a particularly difficult part of the ride. And the instructor said this. He said, listen, don't quit. If you persevere, it will turn this pain that you're experiencing into gold. He said that. Like I'm studying James and he says that, right? But there's a pattern, right? There's a physical pattern. Like your muscles will not get stronger unless they're put under strain, your faith will not get stronger unless it's put under strain. And so what James says is this can create a perseverance, a strength in you that you would not have otherwise. But that word steadfast is a word that I like too. I like that word because it, it kind of gives me the image of somebody who is just steady, like calm. Uh, Lake Erie is the most shallow of the Great Lakes, which means that it is most sensitive to wind of any of the Great, great Lakes. And if you have wind coming from the north, it doesn't have to be very strong to unsettle all of Lake Erie. We all know people like that. But who the smallest thing makes them just go on edge like the world is coming to an end. But we also know people who have a depth to them where they seem like unflappable. And it's because they have gone through some really difficult things and their faith has made them steadfast. And those are the people we go to when we are in a storm. James said, you want to know the goodness of suffering, the goodness of going through a trial. It can purify your faith. It can create steadfastness. And then he says this. He says that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. That word perfect, in other translations, it's translated mature. Mature is like a catch-all word that describes somebody with a tremendous capacity for love, for joy, for humility, for empathy, right? for all of those things. Listen, I was talking to somebody out in the atrium, a friend out in the atrium two weeks ago, and he lost his wife <clears throat> less than a year ago. And he said to me, you know, I think I have empathy now. I used to think I had empathy, but I didn't. But I do now. And that's true of almost all of us. That we think we have empathy, we think we have certain characteristics, but until we go through suffering, and when we go through suffering, we end up going, you know what, now I know. Now I know what it's like. Listen, what James is saying is this that suffering, trials, can make you a better man, a better woman, a better friend. 
make you a better husband, better wife, better mother, better father. Right? Or it can make you worse. It can make you a worse man or a worse woman. It can make you bitter and cynical. It can make you selfish and small. It can make you envious of people who are not going through what you're going through. So the question now is, how do we make sure that the suffering you go through, and you should know, James, when he starts this out, he doesn't say, if you go through a trial. He says, when you go through a trial. You are going to go through a trial. If you're not in one now, one's coming. Uh, spoiler alert. Right? But how do we go through suffering in such a way that it makes our faith stronger instead of shipwrecking us? Where it creates in us a maturity and a steadfastness instead of making us worse. And that brings me to my second point, the need for wisdom. The need for wisdom. You know, uh, I told you that uh, James will seem like he's disjointed. And I've known about these verses on wisdom for a long time. You know, it says just, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. That's what he, who gives, who wants to give you wisdom. Right? And I would read that. I would tell people, I would quote that to people who were trying to make a decision. And I would say, listen, it says just ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. And I, I've quoted it to myself. But I never connect. One of the things I love about preaching is that as I'm preparing, uh, I learn stuff I didn't know before. I get corrected with stuff that I had misunderstood. And this was the biggest epiphany for me, what I'm about to tell you. This made the biggest impact on me. Maybe it will for you too. But what he says, he says, if you lack wisdom, he's connecting that to suffering. He said, when you're in the midst of suffering, if you want to suffer well, if you want suffering to create in you something good and not kill you, not crush you, not make you worse, you're going to need wisdom you don't have. You need to ask God. And the reason that was such an epiphany to me is when I look back on my life and I look at the different times I was in difficulty and I was in trials and I was in suffering, I never asked God for wisdom. Just not something I did. I asked God for other stuff. I asked God to get me out of it. I asked God to, to uh, provide for me. I asked him to, to, just to get his eye back on the ball, right? Like, I would, get frust- I would get frustrated with God, and maybe you'd have too. And, and so when he says, ask him, that's a hard thing to do. You know, whenever I've had a, a tiff with my wife, uh, I never want to ask her for anything. And the problem with that is that uh, she knows where everything in the house is, and I don't know where anything is. And so when I, when, if I'm mad at her, though, I will not ask her. I'll just look for it myself. I'm like opening cabinets and trying to find it. You know why I don't want to ask her? Because I'm trying to communicate to her, I don't need you. I don't need you. I can't tell you how many times I feel like I've done that to God when I need him the most because I wasn't willing to say to God, listen, Right now, in the midst of this pain, in the, in the midst of this trial, I need wisdom I don't have so I can process the pain in a way that will make me better and not worse. And maybe you're like that too. And there are two different things, I think, that come with wisdom. One is perspective. 
That God can give you perspective in the midst of pain. And what, this is what I mean by that. Um, culture, our culture is like a, a huge river flowing in one direction, and the current is very, very strong. And you're a part of the culture, so it's hard to even realize how strong the current is and, until you try to go against the current. And one of the things that our culture teaches us in a, a thousand different ways every day is that this life is the only thing that's important. That this life is all there is. If you don't get love here, you don't get love anywhere. If you don't get happiness here, there is no consolation because there is nothing else out there. Right? And you can believe the Bible all you want, but you're also a product of the culture, and that is in you. You, can, you should be able to feel that in you. But the Bible says it's not true. The Bible says this life isn't all. In fact, this life is like a preamble. The most important thing about this life is how it prepares you for the next. And this is what, I mean, I'm just going to give you a little visual. If this match was all there was, then I would let it burn for as long as I could possibly let it burn. But if this light is intended to light this candle, in the first service it did the same thing. <laughs> you know, sometimes props, whoa, are just not what they're cracked up to be. Come on. There we go. Oh, and, and you see what I did? As soon as the candle's lit, it doesn't matter about the match anymore. Right? If the match is all there is, oh man, I would let it burn all the way till it burned my fingers. But if the match is only to light the candle, it doesn't really matter, does it? But in our culture, it says this match is always perspective. Now, every time you see a match, every time you struggle lighting a match, every time you see a candle, I want you to think, what's my perspective on this life and the life to come? Another thing is an anchor, right? Like, um, James goes into this thing where he says, if you ask for wisdom, don't doubt. Whoever doubts is like somebody tossed to and fro, and he, he, he gives the image of like a ship in a storm that doesn't have an anchor. One of the things that suffering can do is it reveals your anchor, what you've been counting on to get you through difficult things. The, the, the thing that you say, at least I still have this. At least I still have my family. At least I have my children. At least I have my spouse. At least I have my retirement, my job, my friends, whatever it is. When that is threatened, you will feel like you are lost. And when you're in the midst of a trial, you feel like you're lost. God is revealing to you what you've been counting on as your anchor. And the only thing you can count on that you can never lose is Jesus. He's the one thing you can grab onto. And what James says is don't go back and forth between two different anchors. Because if you're counting on Jesus and then you're counting on your kids and you're counting on Jesus, then you're counting on your spouse, you'll be double-minded. You'll be unstable all the time. So James starts out by saying, listen, if you, when you go through trials and you're going to go through trials, you need to count it joy. It can do things in you that nothing else can do. It can make your faith more precious than it's ever been. It can make you steadfast. It can make you more mature. It can make you a better man, better woman, better friend. But for that, you're going to need wisdom. 
And so ask God for that wisdom to process suffering. And then the third point is the danger of prosperity. I told you that James is immensely practical. So it's like in the first 18 verses, he says, hey, I got something for everybody. Because he, all of a sudden he launches into this part about, about wealthy people, about if you're poor, you're in good shape. If you're wealthy, watch out, right? Like you should be crying out in misery. You want to go, what is he doing? Right? Uh, there's a book that was written in the 1600s uh, by a man who, it's called uh, Knowing the Heart. Knowing the Heart. And in it, he... Uh, gives 12 different situations uh, that a Christian could find themselves in where their faith is in danger, where they have to be diligent to protect their heart during that time. And there are things that like persecution or uh, impending death or the death of a loved one. You know what's number one on the list? The number one thing on that list that, that you need to be diligent to protect your heart from if you're going to keep your faith? Prosperity. Prosperity. You know why? Thanks, because when, you, when things are going well, when the, the sky is blue, you're not in a storm, and you just you don't know what your life is built on. You think you do, but you don't know. The only time you really know what your life is built on is when you're in the midst of a trial. That's why Jesus, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, uh, paints this image. He says, there are two houses. They look exactly alike. They're both faring very well when the weather's good. You could not tell the difference on the outside, but then the storm hit, and the one that was built on sand got washed away. Right? James is saying, listen, if, you're, if right now your life is hard, know this, God can do something absolutely amazing. If your life is going really well, be careful. Be careful. That's why, and, and you can almost hear him, hear the argument back where somebody's going, well, if God, if that's really when I'm in danger, why does God tempt me with good things? That's why he says, every good gift comes from above. Like God gives you good things, but when you take them, and this is what he says, he says, uh, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Like that, that word desire there, if you've been coming any length of time, uh, this should not surprise you. It's the Greek word epithumia. That's a compound Greek word. Thumia means desire. Epi means over. It means to want something too much. It's to take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. God gives you children, and then all of a sudden you make your child the most important thing in your life. And James says that will shipwreck you. Right? You, God is the one who's giving you good things. When you take a good thing, make it into an ultimate thing, you're in trouble. James you're going to love this, right? These next 10 weeks. One, because he's so practical. At some point, if not today, then in the weeks to come, James is going to just crawl right into your heart and tell you what's going on with you. Today, if you're going through trial, God says, or James says, ask God for wisdom. It's harder than you think. But you need it now more than ever. If you are going through a wonderful time in your life, be diligent to guard your heart. You're in more danger than you think. James, wisdom. Let's ask God for wisdom every week this 10 weeks. Would you pray with me?
Uh, Lord Jesus, we come to you and thank you for this time. Thanks for uh, James and for uh, him letting us know kind of what happens when life is going, is being, is hard and what happens when life is going well. And I pray for every person here, particularly people who are going through a difficult time. I pray that, uh, that the suffering would not uh, make them worse, but would make them better. I pray that we would all ask for wisdom when we find ourselves hurting. And then I pray that you would help us process it that pain in such a way that it makes us stronger and more in love with you. I pray that you'll protect us in prosperity as well. And we pray this in your name. Amen.